morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ash. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Mr. Kip Fisher, and we are coming to you live for the 172nd time, the 17th day of December 2017. Mr. Fisher, we are recording off schedule this evening, but hopefully that doesn't mean that you are off kilter. That's the only off pun I can think of. I don't know. How the heck are you? Yeah, I'm fair to Midland, but looking up. Well, that's good. Hope that doesn't mean you're lying flat on your back or uh, something gone wrong. No, I'm about two-thirds of the way flat on my back in an office <laughs> chair, but that's a well, good thing uh yeah i will uh i will accept that and uh also accept this lovely lovely evening a sunday evening nice calm relaxing sunday evening that we are uh recording tonight i thank you for accommodating my schedule needs easy like a sunday evening uh sunday evening sunday morning <laughs> yes but that- it is not it is not morning here nor there it is not morning. That is true. No, I uh, I had the very very important task of seeing Star Wars: The Last Jedi on Friday night. So Kip accommodated me with a slightly revised schedule. Not a problem. Well, I appreciate that greatly, and uh, the astute listeners can uh, determine that I still have that cold that I was struggling with two weeks ago when we recorded. And I also have a very stern warning from my doctor about it. So, so uh, I, as you can see by my bare hands here, am not smoking this evening, unfortunately. So, Mister, carry the torch, pun intended. Well, you know, you have extended this this notion you have that you only smoke one or two cigars between two or three week shows. Now it's now interfering with the actual show. So <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to do with that. I know. I know. I, uh, I have had one cigar since our last show and, uh, none tonight. So I am starting to cause a bit of an interference, aren't I? But, uh, uh hopefully, um, this cold turned cough turned uh, upper respiratory sinus infection thingamajigger will be gone by the next time we record. And I will be uh, puffing myself into a beautiful blue smoke frenzy. How's that? Sounds good. It'll be next year before we record again. Yeah. Wow. Yes, it will. Won't it? Yeah. Cause I will be out of town at our next originally scheduled date. So, the 29th or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, pardon me. Well, we'll have to... Uh, oh, I need to solidify our January schedule as well. I have not done that yet. I apologize for that. Okay. If we, uh, uh, we record between the 14th and 20th, we, uh, we'll ha- we can have Michael Stewart join us. He'll be down visiting. That would be fantastic. Hey, hey, can I break in just a minute? I'm hearing me back through your speakers or something. Is your mic turned to the wrong thing? You know, I I don't think so. Let me check real fast. Um, no, it is my headset. Okay. Hmm. 
wish I could give you some more on that, but uh, I had some weakness earlier, and now you're having it. Okie doke. Well, yeah, Mike Stewart's coming down. That's, uh, that is fantastic. That will be four weeks from tonight, roughly, or four weeks from, no, five weeks from two days ago. <laughs> All right. Okay. So That's more math than I can process at one time. <laughs> um, and it's probably wrong, too, so <laughs> you got that to look forward to. Yes, um, he doesn't come down on Friday. I'm pretty sure that's not um well if we're not going to record in two weeks on the new year's weekend and we put it off a week following that then that could be our regular schedule kind of a jan 6 or jan 5th and then uh whatever that would be the 19th after that so you can be yeah. able to accommodate him i believe yeah we'll figure it out cool. well that'll be nice i uh I will be sending down a few cigars uh, with him as well. So so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you are smoking this evening and what we're going to be telling people about. Yeah, I am smoking uh, an old favorite of mine that I haven't had in a very long time uh, from La La Tradición Cubana, Luis Sanchez, down in Miami. Uh, This is his... Uh, Reserva Familiar, with the family reserve, which now, this sample included, is about three years old. And that's right around the time the line launched. And it was a spinoff from his typical uh, LTC line. Uh, although this, this was a, is available in Maduro and natural. Tonight I'm smoking the natural in Toro. Looks like it's roughly 6 by 48 or 50 ring. And uh, let's see, carries a an Ecuadorian wrapper. We'll assume Ecuadorian Habano, but I wouldn't swear to it because he didn't ever tell me. And an undisclosed binder, which he has been tight-lipped about uh, as of the last time I spoke to him, which has been quite a while. And Dominican fillers. And uh, just in shopping around from my past notes with this cigar, it has some pretty similar unlit characteristics in the, the, the aroma from the foot is still very hay-like. Uh, I'm sorry, from the wrapper. And it's a little darker and more akin to raisins or stewed fruit kind of aroma at the foot. Um, and I look back at my notes from the review I wrote for these in December of 2014. And I uh, wrote it up then as this being very similar to the standard line, but with a little more spice. Uh, kind of like a baking spice with the niche food. And, you know, you get a little tingle through the nose on a retro or whatever. But it was one of the higher scoring cigars for me for that year. It got a 90.7, which which was pretty good. And we'll see how it goes tonight. So my initial thought is going to be, um, I want to know how three years of age knocks this thing down a step. Because I, I have a feeling it's going to. Mm-hmm. So, so far, um, so far, I would agree. And I lit this before we were recording, so I'm now probably five eighths of an inch into it, and <clears throat> does not have any uh, significant spice on the front end so far in these early minutes. Um, there's some spice there, and it's more so than the regular LTC line. 
but not what not like what I was remembering. It's more more sweet, almost a cherry or berry kind of flavor coming through uh, with the mm. baking spice. So it's it's kind of a little more. Um, it's like a cobbler. Yeah, a little more round. You know, the edges have been knocked off of it, but it's not it's not muted. It's not terribly subdued or flat. It's just there's no sharpness whatsoever to it so far. Hmm. Well, that, uh, that actually sounds quite delicious. If you excuse me while I'm wiping up the saliva. <laughs> it, it is. I like it. I mean, this is right up my alley. Hmm. Well, we have, we have known those LTCs to be man. Oh man. Pretty pretty darn approachable to just about anyone. There's no doubt about it. And not because they're like smoking paper or something, but pretty darn approachable because there's something that anyone's going to find enjoyment out of with them. Right. Uh, absolutely right. Um, and I, I'm a noted nicotine wimp and I can't deal with too many cigars in a day or too strong a cigar sometimes will whip up on me and uh, admittedly so, but I have called these almost nicotine sponges and not, not the family reserve, but the standard line for sure, where it, it, I can light one up after having another strong cigar where I normally could not have cigar directly after I could light one of those with no problem. It's almost as if it's drawing nicotine back out of my system. Hmm. And I don't mean that literally. I'm not saying physiologically that's what's happening. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying that they are so 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 sedate that I I can light one up immediately after another cigar without any ill effect. It's uh, I, I was sitting here going, how do I tell him that that's not really happening? <laughs> <laughs> well. I uh, I have uh, admittedly I have smoked one of these. Um, you sent two of them back in the day, gosh, probably two years ago on one of our exchanges. And, uh, um, <clears throat> I smoked one last summer. I think we actually had this on our schedule at one point, and I smoked one shortly before that scheduled date that we were going to do it, and then was going to obviously save the other one for the recording and at this point i don't remember too much about that sample that i had i remember it being similar enough to the the typical la traditions um but not really standing out in a very different way so uh i am hoping that your uh description will kind of jog something in me and we can uh you know we can virtually taste 1850 miles away how's that i can virtually taste cool. that's what i'm hoping for yeah I, I think i don't know this this line came out right about the time i was preparing to move out of the country so i can't say that i dedicated a ton of time to investigating the whole story of the line but my my gut feeling or me just making up something totally off the top of my head it seems like this his standard line that both of us enjoy quite a bit is very, very calm and sedated and subdued and, and mild in strength, but flavorful still. 
Yes. And this one seemed to maintain those characteristics, but with just just a little bit more pep to it, almost like he was taking his his standard line and maybe trying to approach, you know, a few people that may not have gone for the original that may want a little more spice to it. Maybe it would appeal to some more people. You know, it's entirely possible. I mean, grab that different subset, grab the people who aren't going to ever want to reach for something described as mild. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Well, you're allowed to do that, and uh, we are probably allowed, I think, to move on to the news section uh, to discuss the rather unfortunate, but uh, I guess different in that the unfortunate aspects of our news stories are not related to legislation. Uh, So let's, uh, let's head on down to news and talk about just a couple things that we've got here, starting... With uh, the loss of a couple patriarchs. Uh, yeah, we have two since our last show. Two uh, cigar icons or, or patriarchs of their families. Uh, two significant families, big players uh, within the cigar world. Uh, first of which, back on December the 5th, um, Jose Padron uh, passed away. The, uh, the leader of the Padron family that I'm sure probably dang near a hundred percent of our listeners is familiar with. Um, he, uh, he passed on at 91 years of age. Well, it's too bad that he smoked cigars. Cause he might've made it to 92 if he didn't. <laughs> uh, it's a horrible time, a horrible time for me to make light of, uh, the passing of a legend. Um, and I certainly mean absolutely no offense by it. Um, I wrote something on Twitter briefly about Jose Orlando, um, and it basically was with a quick summary that this man had firsthand experience, both politically and personally, in the Cuban Revolution. This man <clears throat> fought revolution revolutionaries in other countries, in other regions of the world, survived created a cigar brand which is quite possibly the most popular and well-respected non-cuban cigar brand ever to exist and made it to 91 years old 91 glorious years in mostly good health throughout that time he is an incredible lucky happy talented gifted dedicated example of what perseverance and being a genuinely good person can be and uh, I think we are all absolutely worse off without him in this industry yeah uh, he certainly did not have a problem uh, standing up for what he believed in to the point of having his factory bombed out (laughs) And, and I think that kind of personality and that attitude shows through in the product in the direction of the company to have grown. I mean, it's not, Padron is not an ancient cigar company that's been around for 125 years. Well, but to, to have uh, achieved what they have with the quality and, and the dedication of their consumers is, is a pretty dang impressive feat. 
I wrote that he was an ambassador for the cigar industry, a cornerstone manufacturer, and a man with legitimate firsthand personal and political experience of the Cuban Revolution. He has passed away. Long live the legacy and memory of Jose Orlando Pedron. And uh, his, if you're interested in a really lesser-known topic, Jose Orlando had a hand. My understanding is he had a hand in negotiations or or perhaps negotiations isn't the right word. He was, I'll call it an interpreter, perhaps, um, a middleman between revolutionaries and the Cuban government. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories there, what Jose Orlando dealt with and persevered through. Um, he still has, he still had, obviously he has passed on, family on the island that are working tobacco in Cuba still. No longer for themselves, no longer for their, their Padron family name, but for the Cuban government. And uh, up to four years ago, I I know of stories, personal stories, where he would send a single box of cigars with friends who were traveling to Cuba to give to his family there. Um, just simple humanitarian stories, just things that illustrated that this man cared and that he had a heart, um, that he was a great part of this industry. You know, if you if you are a longtime listener to this show, as well as Dogwatch Cigar Radio, you may have heard some of my issues or uh, problems that I have had that I had with Jose Orlando. Um, but those notwithstanding, uh, no one can deny what he's done for this industry, and uh, quite frankly, how amazing his cigars are and continue to be. Um, and it is an awful lot. Uh, just a, a huge mantle for his son to pick up and truly run with. Yeah, but don't age his cigars. Do not age his cigars. Or at least <laughs> do not tell him that you're aging his cigars. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, anyways. He, he, yeah, uh, and, uh, he didn't take uh, kindly to that. Yeah, where was that? Was that at a... An, an RTDA show or something? Uh, no, I think I, I think it was a big smoke. Hmm. Back when we had the cigar aficionado big smokes, and you could have cigars inside. So it was it was, it was mid, early to mid aughts, maybe two thousand five. Cool. Why don't you tell the story? Oh, it. Uh, it's it's covered pretty extensively. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, since we're talking about him, the, the story, I don't know if any anyone listening has ever read the uh, backstory on why there's a hammer that appears on a lot of their packaging. But he left Cuba, of course, shortly after the revolution and made his way to, to uh, the U.S. And someone had given him a hammer to start construction work. And basically he started his life with a hammer and the number 12 comes to mind. I think he had $12 or something like that and built what you see today as Padrone from there. I mean, he worked construction with the hammer to save up money for two or three years until he started the company that we all know as Padrone now that that's an amazing story to me. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. The Little Hammer in 1964. Uh, and his... It, it, there's a lot of... I don't know if they're published stories or if they're just well-known tales, but Padron family history, um, the the stories of him working construction and and then making cigars on the side at night and trying to sell them. And I believe having him, his wife try to sell them when he was at work, if I remember correctly. And then some things going wrong with the blend and then having to start over with the blend because he couldn't get the tobacco that he had originally wanted for his cigars. There's just some really amazing examples of perseverance where he had so many hardships in the early and mid sixties and kept following his passion. It, uh, it's pretty special. Absolutely. Really, really special. So we have another, uh, notable passing within the cigar world as well, unfortunately. And this was Gilberto, uh, Oliva senior, the patriarch of the Oliva family uh, of the Oliva cigar company, not the Oliva tobacco company that some people may also be familiar with. Um, he passed uh, the 15th, I think it was, a couple days ago at the age of 86. Uh, so our condolences to the Olivas as well. I met him once, and it was at the Oliva factory um, in, I believe that's in, um, uh, oh my gosh, the new school cigar city in Nicaragua. Uh, Esteli, jeez. Uh, I believe that was in Esteli. Um, I met him once, and he was a small, frail man. But he would shake your hand with, with. Uh, I, I don't know if I should say gusto or with just strength behind it, but it was just absolute dedication to meeting whoever it was that he was meeting at that moment. It stuck out to me. Um, one of the introductions in my life that I'll never forget, squeezing my hand, looking at me in the eyes, almost so much so to be looking through me. It, uh, it was really quite a striking experience. He was, he was an interesting gentleman, no doubt about it. Yeah. And that's the thing I remember. I also met him once, but it was, uh, it was at a trade show several years ago and it, his eyes, they were exactly what you just described. They're piercing eyes when you would talk to him. Mm-hmm. And still, a lot of people don't know. I mean, Oliva, this cigar company, was sold. Uh, well, the bulk of the company was sold a couple of years ago now to uh, what is it, Jay Cortez? I think it's the European company that Americans like myself are not especially familiar with. I say I know, but. Uh, it was maintained kind of as its own unit still. It was still run and managed by the Oliva family and, and still had their hand in everything. I think Jay Cortez just wanted to break into that market. But the Oliva family as well uh, maintained a lot of land of growing tobacco as well. As well. Uh, in, in addition to the other Oliva family that is a bulk supplier of tobacco to most all of the cigar companies you can imagine. Uh, they all buy, buy tobacco from Oliva, just not this branch of the Oliva family. You didn't know that they uh, that they grew their own. Hmm? 
they grew and sold. I mean, they they marketed it as well. They were just not. It's hard to talk about the two companies because they are separate and separate, at least branches of the family. I'm not sure they even have tight relations in the sense that you know it's the same family, but I'm sure they're related at some point. Yeah, I uh, I would imagine that would be a difficult conversation to have. No, no, the Olivas, not the Olivas. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it uh, it pains us to have to obviously uh, talk about that, but such is life, I guess. We uh, we all live and we all must die, and those two gentlemen left their mark, and we should all be so lucky to be able to do the same. Uh, Godspeed to those two, no doubt about it. Amen. Well, let's move on to this slightly less... Uh, uh, personal aspect, but something that is interesting nonetheless. Yeah. I, I just caught this. I read a number of statements and snippets from hearings and court proceedings that have begun to take place with the lawsuit that CAA, CRA, and IPCPR have with the FDA. <laughs> Too many TLAs in that sentence. Um, TLAs are three-letter acronyms. And they're way the heck too many. <laughs> um, but in one of the, uh, it's actually a blog post that Scott Gottlieb, Gottlieb published, who's the, the current commissioner of the FDA. And they maintain a blog on the FDA's website, and he posts on there at times and just kind of saying, you know, vaguely what policy decisions are being made and what direction they're heading in and what they're doing and keeping up from it. And, and I caught a paragraph out of uh, something he posted I'm not sure of the date, but within the past uh, week or two. Um, And I'll put a link in the notes, but uh, I'm just going to read this little snippet and we can chat it up a bit. And what he's leading into this, he's saying what their plan is. They've assembled a plan of basically their, their general or generic direction that they're heading. And he says, as part of this plan, the FDA will also be issuing an advance notice of proposed rulemaking to look at how to best regulate flavors in tobacco products to limit their appeal to youth while considering the potential role that some flavors may help in helping users transition away from combustible products, uh, which is interesting in and of itself, but that's not the part that caught my attention. Uh, Further, FDA will be issuing an advance notice of proposed rulemaking to solicit information that may inform regulatory actions FDA might take with respect to premium cigars, asking certain questions related to how we might define and regulate quote-unquote premium cigars, taking into consideration the health health effects of these products and their patterns of use. So at least at the upper echelons of direction uh, or management within the FDA that there is some idea if, if it's more than lip service that uh, there might be some way to segregate what we all call premium cigars but that's kind of the the, the hurdle here is is that that very thing that definition of what a premium cigar is because every Tom Dick and Harry out there that's making Cigars, of course, is going to want their cigar to be called a premium cigar. So I think that's that's where we've talked about this at various times in the past is how how you actually define that 
Um, you know, there was some initial talk of pricing structure or minimum pricing or whatever. I don't think that's a good way, but honestly, I don't know what is a good way. I don't know how you delineate that uh, with so many variables. Yeah, you know, I, I don't either. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about such things. Um, but I think the key here is not so much to focus on, oh boy, how are we going to, how are we going to, to hammer this down? But more, I think there's a question as to what this statement reflects. Um, does this reflect the FDA kind of showing its cards and saying, all right, guys, look, we understand we are woefully misunderstood I'm sorry, your industry is woefully misunderstood by us and we need some help. Or is this the opposite of that completely and them putting out a blog post, not a legitimate expression uh, in through through common channels just to kind of pacify people to say, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to issue this request and it may inform regulatory actions that the FDA might take. It's just, is this just something to pacify us by saying, look, 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 look at this. We tried, or is this them, you know, having a tuck tail and, oh, uh, gee, guys, maybe we need some help. I don't know what this is, but that to me is the bigger question here. Not so much, how are we going to band together and agree upon a definition for premium cigars? But what is this definition going to be used for, or why is this definition going to be taken? Right. I, I don't. I mean, there there's several layers to this statement. It is truly what you just said? Is this lip service, or is this actually thought going into the process? And then, secondly, if 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 this matters, if this is even a real thing that's on the agenda or on the plate to be looked at. Uh, what do we do with it? How do we determine uh, and come to some kind of consensus of what a premium cigar is? Yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know that answer. Um, <coughs> I don't know that answer because the number three premium cigar manufacturer in the world, and again, premium with air quotes around it, um, uh, flavors their cigars. So. How do you have this conversation when 80% of the industry is going to talk about premium cigars, tobacco only, uh, cured, fermented, rolled, and aged being the only aspects of uh, on the ingredient and recipe book or recipe list? And then you've got this this other major party and some other minor players who don't want to adhere to that? Are, are we going to be able to agree to anything? I don't know. Um, and if we agree, is it going to be more of a detriment than anything else just so we can have a unified front? I'm yeah. also curious about that. And I can guarantee you the big guys are not going to let it come to pass that something will give an advantage to the little guys that they can't take advantage of as well. Yeah, absolutely right about that. And Although, if, if you're going to talk about 10-year-old cigar companies, how many little guys are there in 10-year-old cigar companies? Right. Where's the little guy? Well, I mean the bigger big guys. 
the the truly large cigar companies are not going to. I mean, they some of them support this, if not directly, indirectly. They support the legislation, if for no other reason than it's going to narrow the field. Yeah, you know, give yeah. a market share. Yeah, but having a bigger market share is not going to matter if if there's not that much market to share. Well, I think that that's a debatable tactic, um, and I certainly don't have enough information to, to warrant a, a, a final answer on it. But I would say that that strategy is one, if it's going to play out, that can absolutely pay dividends. You know, Get rid of 60% of your competition, even if your market's going to be 50% smaller. It, it will ultimately end up being the better business move for you. And that's what those guys are obviously going to make a decision based upon. They're yeah. not billion-dollar corporations. I want to call them International Cigar, but that's a that's a message board online. Um, who owns Altidus? What's their Altidus parent company? Um, um, the, the one that just sold everything? No, not Swedish Mass. Oh, that's general. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Altria, something like that. Parent, parent, global company. Yeah, it's like Euro Tobacco or whatever they are. Um, you know, that's a. I, I bet that's a fifty billion dollar a year company. You know, okay. just absolutely gigantic. They are not going to imperial. Imperial Tobacco. I should have known that. Yeah, uh, Imperial Tobacco. They are not going to make a decision that has much to do with anything related to premium cigar. Their their premium cigar market probably brings in no more than one or two percent of their annual profit. It's uh, yeah. it's a a skunk works thing for them. They, nobody gives a crap about it. It's just a, a little uh, uh, novelty of anything else. Yeah, the lost leader. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Well, we'll see how that goes. I I was unaware that this had a, that uh, this statement had been made. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very interested, and thank you for uh, finding it and posting it. Just a little quick bit of Google Foo says Imperial Brands make 320 billion cigarettes per year with a B, billion. Unbelievable. Wow. Not, you know, that's not counting all the little cigar production and premium cigar production and pipe tobacco production. That's just cigarettes. 320 billion. Unbelievable. Market presence in 160 countries. Aren't there like 175 countries only? <laughs> I don't know. There's like some little island out in the Pacific. It's the only place you can't buy these things, I guess. They're in North Korea, probably. Hmm. Wow. Crazy. Well, there's that, that's one to follow. That's an interesting one. I'll, uh, I will be very interested in that. Yeah, just to see how it progresses and if that actually turns up to mean anything. But since we're on the topic, the um, this lawsuit that I mentioned between the three uh, advocates of the cigar industry and the FDA kind of kicked off and actually got a little court time uh, finally, rather than just talking about it for years on end as it's been in the past. Um, 
so some of these opening arguments have begun this week. And there's an article I'll also link to this. Cigar Aficionado published this article because they were actually present in the courtroom and um, had a quote. And, and you can read from the link when I put it uh, in the notes. But I noticed also, I, I, I noticed things. Sometimes I notice things. <laughs> During the uh, Department of Justice's time, uh, they had some time to make some opening arguments. Uh, both sides did, of course. Uh, judge Meta, uh, that's the, the judge, of course, presiding over this case, this suit. Uh, he brought up the fact that the same guy we just talked about, Dr. Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, announced earlier in the year that the agency is reevaluating its regulation of the premium cigar industry. And followed that, that in the, within the article following that is a quote from the judge. And he says... If the FDA is still studying premium cigars, how can I make a ruling? <laughs> I have a problem with a government agency asking, in bracketed, premium cigar companies to spend millions of dollars to satisfy the deeming rule when it may not be on the books a year from now. Hmm. That was just an interesting quote to me that that, that yeah, is, is even on the on the table or as a comment. I. I like that. I like seeing people push the envelope and 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 bring up the question that's just on the tip of everybody's tongue. Well, wait a second. This is required, but really, let's think it through a little bit. I I, I love that moment. Yeah, and, and there were several points in these opening days or hours of court time. Uh, mainly, they were talking uh, th this the specifics of this particular hearing were about the warning label requirements because they're going to eat up a large portion of what historically has been art or, or marketing space on boxes. 30% 30, 30 of the major surfaces is a big chunk of a cigar box to have to cover up with a label. Oh, yeah. And the arguments being made that it is interfering with their freedom to, you know, to communicate with the consumer in marketing or whatever. And so I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I, I I like to see these kind of comments because it honestly it's it stands out because so many times uh, the cards are stacked against anything in the tobacco world. Anyway, it's it's easy to just go against the tobacco industry because tobacco industries in the minority these days and, and and not necessarily politically correct in a lot of circles. So just some little piece of Assurance that hey, this guy is actually putting thought into this. He's actually doing something not just of a mindset that says, "Oh well, the tobacco industry, you guys screwed up again. You got you're going to lose this for no other reason." Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I I could not agree more with you. It's uh, a breath of fresh air. Let's hope. Yeah. Or what leads to? Yeah, and the um. The three uh, advocates were arguing that, hey, that again, that these these labels, these massive legal labels, uh, are crowding out communication to the customers. Was a quote from one of the lawyers, and that the FDA has, as of yet, not provided any evidence that these labels will abate cigar use. Is the quote will will lessen cigar use? Is not there's no established or at least provided. Um, 
documentation or nothing real and tangible that says putting these labels will even do what what they're intended to do from the FDA. Well, but they're, they're they're arguing the points on sharpened pencils that the the, the minutia is going to be a nightmare for these lawyers. I guess that's why they make so much money. Well, I, I was going to say, not going to be a nightmare when it's just extending the time at which they're collecting a paycheck. Yeah. But, and I have, I have multiple friends who are attorneys. That's, that's not a dig on attorneys. It's just uh, when thinking of this situation, no one, no one would have expected this case to, to, be a quick one. I'll put it that way. Right. So, I, I, that's all I'm speaking to. Well, yeah, but it went on to say this this portion, this this argument before the judge between the or amongst these points, pretty much wrapped up in a day. And sometime in January, there should be a ruling on the case about at least about the labels. Uh, what's going to happen with the labels? The first of many, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the uh, the date. I think it's next August sometime that the, uh, the labels will have to start appearing if it goes through as it currently stands. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, can I uh, can I ask you to talk a little bit about that reserva? Yeah, absolutely. Or you, Why don't you oh, talk oh, a little bit about oh, that oh, reserva? That, that was you asking. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? Uh, what's it tasting like? Has it transitioned? Still a little bit spicy. Still, what you expect? Uh, it's a, it, it doesn't just as you speculated. It does not have the same punch that I remember from three years ago. But that's probably to be expected with a cigar that's certainly on the milder end of the spectrum in terms of strength or, or, or even sharpness within the flavor. Some of that will, will fade a little bit. And it has, but I'm still grooving on it. I mean, if the thing faded entirely to be the mild little darling of a cigar that the regular LTC line is, I'd be happy as can be. Uh, but it doesn't have that. It, it does have the baking spice quality, but maybe just not the the uh, punch to the soft palate that, that was there uh, previously. Um, it, it seems to have lost some of the sweetness already, almost like um, if you have a cigar that has a particular flavor or even an added flavor, and let me preface this by saying I'm, this is not a flavored cigar. It doesn't have anything added to it in that sense. But if you have a flavored cigar, and I've smoked very few, I don't have much experience because they're not my groove, but sometimes it seems like you, you take off smoking it, and at some point you realize the flavoring has burned away. You're just smoking a cigar now, and that's almost what the sweetness is like. It, it had a much sweeter note to it initially than it does now, and I'm, I'm, I'm well into it, actually, seeing as how I lit it so early tonight anyway. Um, I've got maybe four inches of cigar left, started with six. And the sweetness has faded uh, uh, faded into the background. Um, has a little bit of a drying effect on the palate, which I didn't expect. I don't remember that being 
anything I noticed uh, in the past. Um, it, it just feels dry in the mouth. The smoke has, you know, uh, has that effect on the palate. It feels a little bit dry just through the act of smoking. Um, it has burned flawlessly. It got a little weak with the, the ember uh, just a minute ago. And now that I've been talking, it's probably out enough and I'm going to have to hit it again with the lighter to, to resume. Um, and it's gotten just a smidge off kilter to use that term twice in one night between the two of us. A um, little bit, little bit quicker progression on one side than the other, but absolutely nothing out of the ordinary, out of what I would call the norm. I mean, it's just something that happens, but I only mention that because that first half inch or so, it was just a razor sharp line in the burn. It, it was imperceptibly off then. I mean, it was just straight as can be, and it has wandered a little bit now, but not anything that's concerning or, or bothersome. Uh, for a normal smoker, would it have been an issue, or is it just an issue for you? I don't think so. I think uh, for a normal smoker, no. I think most people would not notice that. If you're just hanging out in a cigar shop smoking a cigar, you probably would have reached down with your lighter and hit it for about two seconds and never thought about it again. Hmm. All right. Well, I can live with that. I mean, as you said early on, hey, if that cigar transitioned over and it just became the traditional, well, no pun intended, it just became the typical La Tradition Cubana, uh, things could be a lot worse. I... <laughs> I have something I'm holding back in my comments because it sounds 100% contradictory to everything I'm saying. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm going to get crucified over this. I know. With that drying effect, there's there there are puffs that elicit a, a salivary response where it's like. <laughs> I know how I know how stupid this sounds. I know, but I I, I got to say what I'm thinking. I guess where it just is is a a savory kind of flavor that just you know it's like getting taking a bite of a really good steak and just draws that out of me. Nonetheless, in between those, it's dry. <laughs> so how does one get those versus the dryness? Well, it's not measurable in terms of strength. It's not measurable in terms of flavor directly, although it is certainly related, I would think. It just feels dry. Like puff, 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 it feels dry in the mouth. The smoke has a drying effect where after a puff, your mouth feels drier. Mm -hmm. And this thing I'm talking about that makes no sense whatsoever will... Cause of a response. It's like Pavlov's dog. I'm like somebody rang a bell and I'm, I'm making spit over here. I don't know why. It just happened. <laughs> All right. I'll let you go. I know. I know. I knew I should have kept my mouth shut, but I did. Well, I, uh, let me see here. I don't know. I don't know exactly where I want to go with this, but I guess I would say, um, 
it's possible for that to happen. I'm not going to say you're crazy. You sound crazy, but um, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. I I, I guess that's just going to happen. Different puffs will have different uh, effects. So, so I don't know, man. Uh, it, it ain't like there's little micro beads of special spit maker in this thing. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you what's happening. Well, I can understand that. Definitely. I mean, you know, I've had moments where I've tasted uh, absolutely crazy things in cigars that other people think you're nuts for, but you know, you've got it, but it yeah. doesn't mean that it's, uh, doesn't mean that it's not happening. No, that's why they make different kinds. Yep, yep, yep. Well, now that you've given us this spectacular, uh, uh, contradictory, <laughs> crazy uh, review, shall we talk about I, one of them? I'm an enigma wrapped in a mystery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have had one cigar in the past two weeks, and I see you have had uh, a lot. Mm, well, I have number, but uh, probably just in length, but one of them at least. Yeah. I, uh, our friends uh, here are in the process of adopting a, a young Dominican girl, and they reached a major milestone in the process because nothing happens easily with the government and the bureaucracy here. <clears throat> the adoption certainly is not final. It's a long way off, but but they have gotten official guardianship with the Dominican government, which is a huge first step. <clears throat> so he broke out the, his Opus A's from CFC 2013 and 14, and he was kind enough to give me the one from 2013, which was fantastic. <laughs> the one he was smoking from 2014 uh, had that Opus uh, prototype band on it, so we have absolutely no idea what what was going on with that cigar, <laughs> which is fun to talk about and funny and all, but it, it's bothersome when you smoke something you really love and don't know that it's ever obtainable again, kind of like that. Oh, absolutely. That one that we had with the prototype band on it. Yep, exactly. Well, he had an A, just like that. And I oh. had the... Uh, Typical standard A, I believe, although I'm not convinced. One of those two years, we were given box-pressed A's, and this one still had some flat sides to it, and it may have been that one, but it, it was still the same A. Carlito had just put some in a box because I guess somewhere along the line some there had been some debate that a box-pressed A opus never existed, so he made some just because somebody said they had not existed. So. But it was just a standard A as far as the blend goes. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there that night smoking that thing for the entire night and still had half of it. Got up and finished it the next day. I mean, this was probably a four and a half hour investment oh. in this cigar. Wow. It was so slow and it was so good. And I have said on this very show countless times, I'm not a big Opus fan. I, I, I will smoke an Opus and I'll enjoy an Opus, but Don Carlos Hemingway, that's that's my bread and butter from Fuente. But every time 
in recent years, it seems when I smoke an opus, I'm surprised by how much I like it, how much more so than I think I will. And this was no exception. It was a phenomenal cigar. It had no, no glaring spiciness, nothing, uh, not even a great deal of strength, which is another theory of mine is probably a little crazy, but you know, some of those smaller, even smaller rings and smaller overall size. And, and like the little triple X power ranger, those little guys, a lot of times will just whip me seven ways from Sunday. And some of the larger ones I find to be much more, um, tameable, much more tame or manageable in terms of their strength and, and the spice as well within the flavors. But this was <clears throat> in that magical zone, <clears throat> excuse me, where I believe if you take an opus and you set it aside for a couple or three years, it will definitely change. But to me, it has a, a an oatmeal raisin kind of flavor that just really shines. I, I love them. And this was in the sweet spot of that. And it was it was as if it had, it had been held to to its moment in time to be smoked for me. And man, I enjoyed the crap. Yes. Out of it. I, I, I mean, I've never smoked an A to that size. I mean, it took me two days to do it, but I smoked that thing down to next to nothing. I, uh, I have to say, I have not had a lot of luck smoking A's. I, I have had them, but usually I end them at three and a half inches or so. Well, I actually ended the, the first session that night with more than that and just brought it home with me and stuck it on the ashtray and fired it up the next day. And it was just as lovely as ever. No, no ill effects from sitting overnight charred. I didn't even scrape the char off or anything. It, it was fine. Um, Man, you have turned into a, a renegade when it comes to cigars, haven't you? <laughs> Dude, I smoke stuff now that I never would have dreamed of five years ago. <laughs> you, you don't need no laugh. <laughs> I I like the A's. I appreciate them, but if I remember right, I think I sent um, Dale Roush the A's that I had left several years ago because they weren't my thing. I feel like I need a tripod to smoke one. To be <laughs> and I knew he liked them. I think I sent what I had to him back then, but but it was good. Well, that sounds familiar, actually, because I know he, uh, near the end of Dogwatch, he was uh, a little worried, I believe, because he always smoked an Opus A on New Year's Eve. And uh, I believe he was out of them or almost out of them. So you sending yours to him would sound as if it was a relatively justified thing. That that seems like something he would have wanted. I hope so. Yeah, and well, otherwise you send him a box of cigars that he hated. So, after. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, I don't have anything nearly as extravagant as an Opus A, but I was lucky enough to have uh, an añejo uh, last week. Yeah, last week when my dad was out, um, I was feeling a little bit better. It was on a. a High swing, just had the cough, but had gotten rid of everything else. And so I uh, jumped right in with quite possibly 
the the heaviest and most particulate laden cigar I could have chosen, and that was a nine year old Añejo um, with the old band on it. This was a forty six, I believe. Yeah, the Corona Gorda. So yeah. a size I don't typically enjoy. Um, but I had one left and uh, gave it a shot. And it was a size that's probably my favorite in the line outside of the 888. I think we've talked about this before about how I think you're absolutely nuts for loving that Corona Gorda. There's just, it, it fails on every level. Uh, it, the, you don't get as much wrapper taste. It doesn't have uh, as much complexity. You're just crazy to like that. That's silly talk right there. <laughs> well, I had. Uh, I had this thing, and it was anybody who's ever smoked an añejo knows that these things are they're palate coating to say the least. They it almost feels like you can scrape the layer of smoke off your skin wherever it's exposed to it. Um, so perhaps I shouldn't have had that when I still had some coughing issues, but uh, I have to say this was the best Corona Gordo I've ever had. Um, it displayed so much of that Añejo Maduro, very unique Maduro sweetness that goes along with it. Um, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was a memorable Añejo, um, really memorable. Not as much as the original releases, the 03, 04 releases, whatever they were, 02, 03. Um, uh, 01 was the original, and then it was kind of hung up for a while after that. Okay, uh, O1s. I I remember the the whole story with the O1s that it's Opus that they had lost the wrapper on, so they put something else on it. Yada yada yada, and they were just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, this wasn't like that, but it was absolutely a, a, an añejo to remember, and certainly one that would separate it from the other cigars that. Uh, you can go out and buy on a daily basis. It was it was pretty special. Cool. So huh. this next one for you is pretty interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> the uh, Decima. I'm now getting an echo in my ear of myself. Um, the Decima is what I believe to be the latest offering from uh, the Top Secret Nest, uh, which is the uh, factory over in Tamboril that makes Chofi and some of the other cigars I've talked about intermittently over the past two years. Um, I don't really know a thing about it. I stopped by a shop one day, and they had some, and I got two of them. I smoked the first one and actually think I sent you a message and asked you if you'd ever smoked a cigar that that was a Toro that would have made a perfect Robusto <laughs> where I got most of the way through it. And it just suddenly without explanation, without warning, it just went flat and I finished smoking it and it never came back. And so uh, honestly, I was discouraged at that point. Um, but being the trooper that I am and not one <laughs> prone to wasting tobacco these days, I smoked the other one and it, and it was good all the way through. So uh, 
I will likely give it another try. See if it was, you know, some kind of anomaly. I know it's a new introduction. Maybe it just needed a little more time. Uh, I don't know. There's any of a hundred reasons that that could have happened, but so I'm gonna give it another shot and see what happens. But uh, so I don't really know what to think about it. Yeah, I don't know any. I don't know the person behind it uh, because this factory tends to make a lot of contract cigars for people who want a cigar line. I don't know the components. I, it, it was lovely, uh, sweet kind of, uh, well, actually a lot like this cigar tonight, the, the sweet kind of baking spice flavors uh, until that weird episode with the first one. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'll report back when I get another one or two and try. You know, I, how do I, what do I even want to say here? Um, I, I'm hesitant to be overly interested in this and not just because of my normal hesitation for new stuff, but much more because <laughs> you do have that hesitation for new stuff. I do. I, I want it to come out and carve its place in, uh, in the collective industry rather than just make a splash and sink to the bottom. Um, I hesitate here because with this factory that's doing contract stuff, what does this matter? Like, what is, is this a 5,000 cigar production for one Joe Blow who wants to see his face on a band? You know, like, are we ever going to see this again? Um, or is this ever going to be something that will make it to the States even? That's a good question because some have and some haven't. Some have a compartir. I love that cigar, but it didn't it didn't make it because the guy who was having those made decided it just simply wasn't worth the hassle to try and have these cigars made and brought into the U.S. with the current legislation and what was coming. Uh, so he threw the towel in. Chowee is doing well. They're introducing a, a new extension to the Dos Siete Siete. Um, the Toro is, is about to launch, uh, and he's now had several lines imported into the States and seems to be doing very well. Uh, this factory makes the Florinata and uh, another one that's their own marks that seem like I see those on the shelf here a lot. I don't know how well they do in the States because I haven't been in the States since I've known about the cigars. Um, but Chico, the guy that runs that factory has a long heritage in the cigar industry with other makers, notably Quesada. Uh, he was with Quesada for many years uh, and he just kind of branched out on his own. So I don't know. I, I don't know this particular one, what its story is and if it'll last. I mean, I imagine that's going to be largely owing to whether or not they sell <laughs> a significant number in the first batch. Hmm. Yeah. I suppose that's always uh you know, that's your deciding factor. If they get that cigar and it sells like hotcakes, you're going to want more. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the last thing on your list, i got to say, doesn't quite surprise me. Yeah, I um, I mentioned this the last show that I had been at least thinking about it <clears throat> and uh, kind of drawing pipes back into the mix. And it, it's weird. I moved to cigar country have less access to cigars 
but I seem to have not really gotten back into pipes uh, over the past two years until these recent weeks. But I've really kind of drifted back in. I'm I'm really enjoying pipes lately, um, a lot actually, more than cigars. Uh, I'm not necessarily enjoying them more, but enjoying them more often. Um, I'm digging it, and what's been going on in this all this time that I haven't been smoking much in terms of a pipe. Every time I've been back to the stage, which is twice in the past two and a half years, I will mule back several tins of pipe tobacco. So I have a decent stash going. There's no reason not to. I have the pipes. I have the tobacco. I have fire. I have pipe cleaners and tamps. I got everything I need. So I'm kind of still feeling my way back into that world, but grooving on it at this point. You know, I, I gotta say, I absolutely just coming out and saying, I love pipes probably doesn't express it how I want to. I absolutely feel like a pipe is comfort food. That's what I want to say. Like, there's just something about sitting back and smoking a pipe that, to me, it's so aromatic. And, and this is not aromatic tobacco, but it's such an easier tobacco to have a beautiful room aroma from. Um, and that is, it kind of gets all the senses going to me. You know, it's it's, I can smell it. And I can taste it, and I can feel the heat in my hand, and you're holding on to this thing. It just does a little bit more for me. And I, I'm a cigar guy. I, I'm always going to be a cigar guy. But <clears throat> there's something about a pipe which is just a little more... It, you, you see this cut? I, I've got a slice on my face. I've been using a straight razor to shave. Um, and... Obviously, you have to be careful. Um, You're supposed to go this direction. <laughs> there's, there's something that comes of it, which is, you know, I know it's not the closest shave. I know it's not the fastest shave. But there's something about the connection to it rather than just the idea of getting through your activity to do something else. Because when you live like life like that, you're always trying to get through every activity to get to another activity even an activity that you burn through to get to the next one you just try to burn through that one to get through to get to the next one and so i'm much more of a smell the roses sort of a guy and so the idea of a pipe maybe connecting more with that idea i think i think resonates with me um and so i i i love my cigars i've heavily invested in cigars over the years there's no doubt about it but a pipe is is a way to sit down and relax more than a cigar is for me and it's just i don't know uh i smoked a pipe a lot the first time that i really read through lord of the rings and so it just kind of puts me into this trans transformative or transportive uh mode I don't know, uh, momentum. Like I just feel like I'm going to slow down and enjoy. Um, it's something about pipes are just special. Yeah. I, 
on my best, most dedicated, involved cigar day, I was never into cigars as much as I was at one point in pipes. I mean, oh, really? Not even close. You know. Wow. You know, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say how many pipes I still own after selling off probably 125 or more before we moved. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're still married? <laughs> and the tobacco. Oh my gosh. I have lifetimes worth of pipe tobacco stored in Slagle's closet back in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just drop him a line and say, hey, by the way, Kip said you can send some of that to me. Well, that's the the neat thing is my I enjoy aged pipe tobacco, uh, long-aged, and now my collection's getting up there in years. I haven't bought pipe tobacco in close to 10 years. All of my tobacco is now like in the 10 to 25-year-old range. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. I, and everything you're saying about a pipe is exactly why I love it still the same i just i don't know why i got so far away from it over these past couple of years i need to I need to work on that some more well hell i mean you're obviously being economical with your cigar smoking your cigar consumption so why the hell not just make a transition over to pipes exactly i mean i i have the rest of my life worth of pipe tobacco and never have to buy again that's a lot of pipe tobacco <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm. I mean, I have. At last, before we moved, I had two bowls a day for long, long decades after I'm going to be alive. Whew. I I am going to call Slagle and have him send me some. <laughs> <laughs> it's slowly making its way down here. Every time we have people coming that from that area, we have them suitcases. <laughs> Not suitcase, mule. So five tobacco. Uh, well, what do you uh, what do you say? Do you have any closing thoughts on uh, on this La Tradition? De- La Tradition. I do. Um, <laughs> it's funny to bring that up as you were speaking. I blew a little out my nose, and some of the spices back, uh, which is a surprise. It's still not to the degree it was three years ago, but it's very enjoyable. Uh, I would be hard pressed to pick a favorite if I between this and the regular line. Mm. I like them both. I like them both for different reasons, and I can't think of a moment in time where I would say I can't enjoy either of these cigars. I mean, they're they're that much of a multi tool for me. They're not they're not potent things when you want something strong. They're not you know they're they're not hemmed up in a corner. They're kind of all-purpose cigars for me, and, and I dig them. Hmm. And that's that is a no strings attached comment. I, I haven't spoken to Luis in a year or more, probably. It's, there's n- nothing that binds me to say these are the great and fabulous cigars, except the fact that they are. Oh man, I uh, I could not agree more. I I, I would say if I was going to make my list of five cigars that I want for from today till the end of time you know and i'm not picking cigars that they only made 10 of or something uh the la tradition cubana probably lawnsdale no coronas they call them but it is a lawnsdale i think that's going to be on my list 
I, I mean, everything I just said holds 100% true to me. I, there's never a time I would not. There's never a time I would refuse one of these cigars. I, they're just good any time to me. You know, I would have said Cabo Guan Maduro, but we both know that I would never know if I smoked another Cabo Guan Maduro. Well, so. that, that's the variety. You never know what you're going to get with that cigar. They, they must be wildly <laughs> different because there's no way we could be full of those same cigars so many times. No. Uh, well, buddy, we uh, we got a short show tonight, but uh, I guess things could be worse. Yeah. At least we got a show off. Yeah. I can dig it. Yeah. I suppose we're ready to wrap this one up. Let's wrap it up. Well, as always, everyone, uh, whether you're here with us tonight in the uh, fairly sedated chat room, which is a couple of guys hanging out because we didn't bother to publicize the fact that we were recording, huh. or you're listening down the road sometime uh, through the, the vast reaches of the interwebs, uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in and uh, hanging out with us for just a little while. And putting up with our ridiculousness and wonderings and uh, whatever else comes with this show. Uh, if you want to come back next time around for episode 173, we'll be smoking, I believe, the E.P. Carrillo um, Limited Edition 2011. I think it is. That's the one that became um, Dark Rituals. It? The Dark Rituals, yeah. I believe uh, that's the case. Yeah, which is another absolute favorite of mine from that company, from E.P. Carrillo, uh, in addition to the one we had last time around, which were the inaugural editions. Um, so we'll see how you get in touch with us. In the meantime, you can catch us by email uh, to craig at halfash.com or kit at halfash.com or any of the normal social media, which we apparently take crap for not being very good at <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, and the forum at halfashed.com. Uh, We'd love to have you join us there as well. Yeah. And, uh, that forum, I know that, uh, uh, you know, you may not be listening to this in the most expeditious time frame uh, around, but, uh, what? If you do, and hey, I'm not giving anybody a hard time with that. Just stating facts. If you do get to this in the next couple of days, on our uh, forum, I believe tomorrow, I'm going to post up some information about uh, a cigar sale that I have been informed of that has some uh, moderately rested tatuaje, uh, La Florida Minicana, my father... Uh, Padrones, Cubans, yep, Illusion, Viaje, everything. So lots of good stuff, really good pricing. Head up to the, uh, I'm going to open that up to everybody tomorrow. So that would be December 18th, it should be on the forums. So, 2017, because we don't know when Kip's going to post this. <laughs> All right, all right. And on that bombshell, I'm just going to come right out and say good night, everybody, and thanks for listening.